Hello and welcome to the Global Trading Podcast. I'm Terry Flanagan, editor of Global Trading. Global Trading is a markets media group publication. Today we're talking about trade surveillance. The complexity of trade surveillance is continuing to grow as firms struggle with record volatility, high volumes, and fragmented markets. Just today, October 17th, Acuity, a provider of market intelligence for senior executives in the global derivatives market, published its second annual trade surveillance market review. The report was published in association with Eventus, a leading global provider of trade surveillance and market risk solutions. The report is based on a survey and series of interviews with senior executives at 64 firms and have found that senior trade surveillance executives expect the volume of alerts and complex issues to continue to grow over the next five years. Today, I'm pleased to have with us to discuss the report and highlight some key themes. Will Mitting. Will is founder and managing director at Acuity and Joe Schifano. Joe is Global Head of Regulatory Affairs at Eventus. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Terry. Thanks for having us. Okay, let's jump right in. To There's a lot to work with here. Well, if I can start with you, if you could give a brief backstory. This is the second annual report. Why was this report launched to begin with? And, you know, what information gap was it meant to fill? And what was what might you sum up as the key takeaway from last year's inaugural report? So we, we discussed with Aventus providing the market with an independent view on the challenges that the market surveillance sector was facing. And as you mentioned, we launched a report last year, and this is the second annual report. So last year, we found, as you alluded to in the intro, that the complexity of trade surveillance had increased considerably over the last three years, which is driven by increased regulatory requirements and market volatility. But we also found a sector that relied heavily on manual processes to investigate and close alerts, but also one that was planning to invest in order to automate processes and reduce inefficiencies. Right. Okay. And and this year's report says Acuity surveyed or interviewed 64 senior trade surveillance and compliance executives across a diverse range of global firms. What types of firms are we talking about here that were involved in this in this survey? So it's predominantly the larger sell-side institutions, but we also surveyed brokers, proprietary trading firms, and several of the key global exchanges across predominantly traditional finance, but some crypto firms as well. Let's talk about some of the key findings from the current this year's report. One theme we've seen is a notable rise in alerts over the past five years, and this is expected to continue at least over the next five years, according to the report. Joe, what do you think is important to talk about this notable rise in alerts? Sure. I When I look at the number of alerts and the continued discussion in the folks that we speak with r- relating to false positives and the number of alerts that they have to look at. It is somewhat surprising that after so many years of, you know, a string of technology providers and surveillance providers out there that this continues to be an issue and one uh, segment of the of this survey was a, a bit of a surprise to me and maybe not. We talk a lot about false positives but when you see it in numbers it kind of stands out and the question really related to, you know, the total number of alerts, how do you categorize them, how much time are you spending on them? And let me just give you some numbers here. More than half of the respondents reported that over 50% of the alerts that they're looking at were low quality. You know, just put your wrap your brain around that for a second. A lot of time 
and effort spent building trade surveillance, working with your vendor, working with an in, with your in-house folks, and still yet over 50% of the alerts are low quality. And, and in fact, over 60% said they were spending time reviewing alerts that were ultimately false positives, meaning they put some time and effort into things. They didn't just dismiss them out of hand. And still, they were finding a number of false positives, too many. And if we look at it from the other side, well, how many are they finding that are potentially true positives or that require some escalation or intervention? And most responded that less than 10% of their alerts resulted in escalation or intervention. And I, in some ways, that validates what we hear anecdotally, but it is still quite surprising that in today's day and age and technology capability that that's still the experience that that people are having that that stands out to me uh in this uh, survey right because it sounds like with the the high amount of low quality alerts a lot of people are doing work for stuff that's tends to ends up not being needing to be looked at and let's be clear this i might say it slightly differently they need to look at all their alerts regulators expect uh, for folks to look at all their alerts and to respond to them in some way. The real issue is how much time is being spent looked at low quality alerts. That's time that could be spent elsewhere. And that that becomes really critically important in a, in a time where folks are continually thinking about managing their you know financial and their human resources. I know at some point we'll talk about skilled staff, but this kind of plays into that that issue and, and challenge. Right, I see. Okay, yeah, that's a good segue in, into the next question. Certainly finding skilled staff has been an issue kind of across the financial industry, but also seeming seemingly so specific to the area, surveillance area we're talking about. What's important to note about the challenge in finding skilled staff? How might that have changed from last year and, and uh, what's the outlook going forward? As you say, Terry, it's an issue across financial services, in particular in from our research in this report and in others. It's a particular issue in the UK and Europe, where obviously that the Brexit negotiation has reduced free movement between Europe and the UK. So that's caused pressure across the across the board. Uh, but it is pertinent to financial services. But but surveillance seems to be at, at, at the extreme end of that as well. So we found last year that it was the biggest issue or the biggest challenge that firms faced in their day-to-day operations with 37 sorry 34% of respondents last year saying it was a critical challenge the the finding skilled staff and that's increased to to 37% this year so it's a problem that is the biggest problem but it's getting worse and also related to that i think retaining staff is also an issue in particular in an inflationary environment where where costs are going up we hear that teams can move surveillance teams can move quite freely between firms because of the demand. So so particularly banks, I think, are having to invest not just in finding and training skilled staff, but, but in retaining them as well. As I think about this issue of skilled staff, and I've talked about this before, it begs the question of how does that impact your day-to-day operation, right? Where, where does that cause a problem? In, a, in my mind, thinking through this, one, you know, the difficulty of finding skilled staff certainly puts pressure on any kind of in-house bills that you have, right? If folks are either supplementing their their existing, you know, third-party vendors or they're building their own in-house systems, one challenge will be to maintain the proper technical resources and 
the proper compliance or surveillance staff to be looking at those alerts that understand it well. So finding skilled staff will put pressure on any kind of in-house build. It also puts pressure on any use of a legacy system that requires a lot of manual intervention because replacing those folks or finding new folks to look at these things uh, in a manual way, that's a skill set that requires someone that understands trading markets deeply and the ability to think through these things in a quick way and then work closely with your vendor or your in-house folks to upgrade and update it. So the more that you're doing with the people, finding skill staff really puts pressure on on those modes. It's sort of, to me, it's a kind of a clear in- indication, and this comes out in other parts of the survey, where automation, innovation, visualizations, technical support for compliance and surveillance folks is, is critically needed. I would, I would also mention that in this area of critical challenges, not everything looks bad, right? Certainly, it's quite interesting to find, to see that uh, the issue of skill staff uh, is increasing, the issue of false positives is increasing. But there are two positives in this part of the survey where folks seem to be doing a pretty decent job with issues around data aggregation and data quality. Those improved in the survey this year where folks are finding that to be less of a challenge. So it's worth it's worth pointing out the positive together with the challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay. One challenge uh, that was mentioned in the report is order book manipulation. And this was cited as the most difficult to investigate. Wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. What exactly is order book manipulation and, and how do surveillance professionals attack this problem? Sure. Generally, as we think about market manipulation over the last 10 years, uh, a lot of discussion around spoofing and layering, momentum ignition, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And this is where folks might be putting orders into the market where the purpose of those orders is not an intent to execute, but an intent to move the price in a way that's favorable to the, the trading scheme. In some ways, this is a little bit surprising that this is a harder to detect phenomenon. Let's parse that a little bit. We think that folks are definitely having more success thinking about plain vanilla spoofing and layering over the last 10 years. We spent a lot of time talking about it. People have honed their their mechanisms. They're doing things right in their front end to make sure traders are not doing this kind of thing. It's been in the news. So there's lots of focus and attention on it. However, having said that, regulators have moved on to looking to other areas and so have bad actors, right? So we're talking a lot these days about cross-product surveillance, where folks might be placing orders in, in various markets to affect the price of some other market so that they could benefit from it. So in, in some ways, it's a simple story, right? When you, you, you catch the scheme of the bad actors, they move on to their next scheme, and they're constantly finding mm-hmm. ways to do things. And maybe that's taking a heavy, a heavy hand at, at stating that, but in many ways, that's what it is. So I, I think the the challenges in order book manipulation are likely related to expanding business models, folks trading in, multi, in in more jurisdictions and multiple jurisdictions, and the need and, and increased data requirements. That all adds up to challenges in looking at order book manipulation. Right. What are the main challenges of trade surveillance as expressed by survey respondents? I mean, I think we've covered some of this so far, but I think this kind of cuts to the chase. What are the 
pain points, if you will, expressed by these survey respondents that kind of came up again and again? Sure. So apart from the challenge of finding skilled staff, which we discussed, we also found an increase in the time that firms spent evaluating false positives, as, we, as, we've, as we've reviewed, and the time spent monitoring across different requirements. So, so as Joe alluded to, there's that regulatory pressure that's changing the, the, the parameters and change, changing the, the dimensions that have to be investigated all the time. So keeping up with, with regulation is, is a challenge. It's less of a challenge than, than it was last year. I think because there hasn't been a big regulatory push this year as, as there had been in the previous year, but it's an ongoing process to monitor changes globally for, for firms, in particular the larger investment banks that operate in multiple jurisdictions. I think to bring that, the, the discussion of false positives together, I think one of the, the benefits of investment in trade surveillance software is that you can do more in terms of investigations and queries. Uh, this obviously reduces your regulatory risk, uh, which was one of the key benefits cited by respondents resulting from investment in software, but it also increases the workload for firms that are, that are not simultaneously investing in better automation of the investigative process itself. You know, if you're not getting if you're not getting false positives, you're missing stuff. Clearly, you know, the, the false positives are a sign that that the the process is working. But it, but if you're increasing exponentially the number of searches, queries, uh, investigations that you want to conduct in a market that is simultaneously increasing volumes and complexity across venues, you need to also invest in the process of identifying false positives rapidly and also in identifying suspicious trades. So a lot of work, I think, has gone into monitoring and, and identification, but I expect to see firms also looking at how they can automate further down the, the, the curve and for, further process processes as well over the next 12 months. Okay. Yeah, I just want to add one one item to that point. Yes, it, it is validating to see false positives for sure. And the level of false positives that you that you find is, you know, dependent on how you set up your your parameters and your in your setup and it's a good discussion to have. You you want to you want to have some false positives to know that you're casting a wide enough net. But note that you need to then be able to explain that. You need to be able to look at those false positives and say in your documentation why it's a false positive, which drives you know, our earlier discussion, the ability to understand and make some you know, reasonable and you know, educated decisions on what something, where, where there's smoke and where there's not. So that, that that's good, needs to be part of the process, and it kind of speaks to perhaps the next question on infrastructure. Right, right. Joe, yeah, if I could stick with you. What did the report highlight about the importance of infrastructure and and how technology infrastructure can help with some of these challenges? Yeah, in some ways, this is some of the more interesting stuff that comes out of this survey. You know, just to highlight a few items from it, you know, top trade surveillance software features that folks are finding the most challenging to improve. And these are flexibility to customize using automation or machine learning to reduce manual work and improve cross-product surveillance, right? These are the most challenging to improve based on the survey results. And that speaks directly to everything that we just talked about, right? The way to deal with the amount and the increase of false positives and the difficulty in various types of manipulation, like order book manipulation, with stress on human and financial resources is with technology. And those are the top three answers. How do I 
have uh, the ability to customize based on my own facts at each firm becomes really critical. How do I automate some of those manual tasks so that they're not repetitive? And that, and that and that's really important in response to another question, this idea of satisfied compliance folks, people who continue to like their work. They're not just simply churning out false positives all day long. And then, of course, the, the topic of the day, this idea of improved cross-product surveillance. I, I, I think those are really critical items. Ha- having said that, you know, when we think about infrastructure, we think about, okay, what, what are the main benefits of, you know, changing our software or updating the software or, or investing in uh, our existing program or, or getting to a new one? And this is quite validating. Uh, this response is quite validating in pointing to what folks will answer uh, without looking at a survey, right? They want to lower their regulatory risk. They want to make their, uh, you know, more satisfaction for their compliance staff, and they want to make their senior managers happy. How do you do that? Cost efficiency, flexibility, customization, visualization, those kinds of things. And of course, explainability, right? The ability to take your, your software, your surveillance results, your documentation, describe how it's created, tailor it to your business, have it respond to your risk assessment, and then be able to get in front of a regulator and explain it. Those are the things that you know come out loud and clear in the, in the survey. Right. A few more questions about the report itself. What surprised you in this year's report? Joe, I think earlier on you mentioned the false, the prevalence of false positives and low-quality alerts, but Will, wondering if anything surprised you from, from your findings here. I think it was the fact that the level of investment, despite having been high over the last three years, is still very high. So what I what I thought was the case is that people would invest and then that, that would be it. But maybe three, five years later, they'd invest again. But it's clear that for respondents, investment is an ongoing process and you might make a big upgrade every uh, every three to five years. But once you've invested, you need to continually invest in order to make sure that you're on top of changing regulations and also continue, continuing to realize the benefits that, that Joe just outlined. So it's clear, I think, what surprised me is that investment is, a, is not a static process, but an ongoing one. Right. Okay. From a bottom line perspective, if I'm a, say, sell-side surveillance professional, I see this report coming across my email box. How does a surveillance professional best utilize this report to their productive advantage? So I think it helps surveillance professionals benchmark their operations and their setup against their peers, but also crucially to realize that the challenges they face, they don't face in isolation. A lot of the problems are common to the industry. And finally, I think it should help firms build the case for internal investment. So showing the benefits of investment and also the the level of investment that's going on across the industry. So hopefully build that case internally with senior management to, to continually improve. I might even say that more forcefully, right? I think those are those are great points, Will. Why hasn't hasn't there been more change? I, I thought it was quite interesting that cost efficiency came up very high in terms of one of the benefits or what people would be looking for when they think about a, a new program. But I think they're thinking about it in terms of notional cost versus total cost of ownership. And so I would say that they should be using this report to question some of their assumptions and as you suggest, well, we'll then take take those questions up the chain and force change. 
people for quite some time now, uh, folks in the industry have complained about very similar things, too many false positives, better need for better flexibility, better customization, uh, more automation, more use of technology, and the latest technology to drive change. But they run into difficulty, many different types of, of difficulties, because it's sometimes hard to change. It requires a bit of force to, to create that change, a little political capital internally, and, and you need to make a bet on, on what, what's going to work and whether that's a big enough change to go through or to stay with the status quo. Those are really important questions. I think there are a lot of firms grappling with those questions. So hopefully, you know, this sort of objective look at what people are saying about their surveillance will help decision makers push for a continued change in their in their in their process and their investment in surveillance technology. Right. Okay. And just the fi- uh, my final question, if we can kind of forward spin this discussion, what do you think might reasonably be expected in next year's report? I mean, I assume there it might be some trends afoot right now that we, we, one can look at and kind of extrapolate forward. But just wondering if you have any ideas as to you know what some of the key th- things might be for next year. Yeah, I think that's the meeting Will and I have right after this call. <laughs> 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 Let's see how people react to this one, and we'll drive that. What, what, one of the things that we did this year, it now being the second report, was to try to benchmark against last year. And, and there are some questions in there that uh, are, are a benchmark and say, okay, how do people respond last year versus this year? And we hope to continue that in, in the coming years, to hone these questions in a way where this benchmarking becomes useful. And you know, we're happy to get feedback on that. So I think that's one element of things. I think cross-product and automation will continue to be a discussion in the next year. These changes don't happen quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that benchmark works. We've talked about machine learning. We have not talked about artificial intelligence. There's lots of variations of artificial intelligence and AI in this space, in many ways in the surveillance space. The use of deep learning models and unsupervised learning and, and these kinds of things, LLM models, these are all nascent. And perhaps next year we'll, we'll ask some questions about the pace of change in that space to go along with you know, things like robotic process automation and, and basic mas- machine learning models that, are, that, that folks are using today. So I, that, that might be a good space for us to be thinking about for next year. Yeah, I think the problems we've identified in this report and the previous one aren't going away anytime soon. Markets are going to increase in complexity. Venues are going to proliferate. And volatility, potentially not as elevated as it is this year, is still going to spike at times and put the pressure on. So I think a worry might be as we if we move into a lower volatile period that, that the pressure to invest in automation reduces at the same time. And I think we're already seeing a retrenchment in spending from from particularly large sell-side institutions who are looking for greater efficiencies to deal with some of the economic headwinds that they're facing. So my worry is potentially that, that the investment in automation we're seeing currently might reduce, and then these problems will be bottled up rather than addressed. So I think it'll be interesting to see next year whether people are following up on their plans to invest, and if so, what impact that's having on the overall efficiency of the market. 
Okay, gentlemen, we've covered a lot of ground here. This has been a very interesting and informative discussion about the, the current landscape and trade surveillance and also a deep dive into the trade surveillance market review that's at that uh, today. I want to thank again our two guests, Will Mitting of Acuity and Joe Schifano of Eventus. Will and Joe, thanks thanks much for your time and your insight on this. Thank you, Terry. I'm Terry Flanagan, the editor of Global Trading. You can find the Global Trading Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's also on the Global Trading website, which is fixglobal.com, Markets Media, and Traders Magazine. Thank you. Thank you.